Good morning, Harmony. How we doing? Good you guys have a good week? Yes. All right. You guys ready? Excited? All right. Uh, so we are talking about the four spiritual laws. And so again, what we're focused on, guys, is we have a mission. You are not here just to find information and pieces of wisdom that bring you peace and bring you comfort. You're not here to find the keys to a better marriage or better children or a better life. You are here because you recognize you need a Savior. You're here because you know the truth that Jesus Christ died on a cross, not just for fun, but to save you from a penalty you could never pay yourself. And you know that we have a mission to go outside these walls and make disciples in all nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a job, a mission that consumes us, a fire that should be burning in our hearts, not to be content that we have peace from God, but that we want to go share that with other people. And so what we've been talking about through this series, The Four Spiritual Laws, is a very easy way to break up the gospel. How do you share that good news with people so they know who your Lord and Savior is, why they need Him, and how they can come to Him? And so as we are going through these laws, what I hope you're thinking about is two things. One, do you even know these? I guarantee you there are some of you who come to church not because you know the truth of who Jesus is, but because it's your habit, because it's what mom and dad raised you to do, because it's just part of what your life and your culture is. There are some of you that need to listen to these laws, not just so you can learn how to share them with others, but to share them with your soul for the first time. Second, if you're at that place where you truly know Him as your Lord, then you need to be finely tuning and crafting your ability to share the gospel with other people. Because brothers and sisters, if you truly know Jesus, if you know Him and how awesome He is, if you know the joy, the peace, and the power that come from being with Him day in and day out, it's not something you hide. It's not something you lack to talk about. I mean, think about in your own lives. The things that you love, the things that make you joyous, the things that you just get a kick out of, do you not share them with people? I mean, let's be honest, right? You go get a good burger someplace today. Are you going to tell people about it Monday at work? Absolutely. You won't even wait. You'll post a picture of it online and tell everybody you know. Hey, I just thought I'm so important. You guys need to know I'm eating a cheeseburger right now, right? We tell people everything. Favorite football teams, favorite food, favorite song, favorite clothes, favorite restaurant, favorite store, favorite everything. Yet then Jesus, we're like, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. Not going to bring that up. If you ain't bringing that up, something's wrong in your relationship with them. And so as you look at these things, be thinking about, how do I share these with other people? The worst thing that could ever be said about any of us in this room is if someone one day found out you're a Christian and went, wow, I didn't know that. That's scary. Should never happen. Right? That would be like my coworkers going, oh, you're married? Trust me, if that happened, my wife's got concerns. Okay? People should know I'm married and have kids. That should be kind of obvious. All right? So that's how this relationship would work. So let's run through the four, and then today we'll focus in on number three. Law one, there is a God, He loves you, and He has a wonderful plan for your life. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is huge. Because the reality is, many people, because what they know about Christians is that we follow rules 
don't actually think this about God. A lot of people have this picture of God, this big angry old man with a bunch of rules nobody can follow, sitting up there trying to make life hard and difficult, and if we pass the test, we might earn heaven. It's why nobody's joyful about the relationship with God. Because no one actually wants to do it. They just feel they have to do it. But the Bible says to us, is no. God loves you. He's immensely just in love with everything about you. He's obsessed with your life, with your plans, with everything about you from your physicality to your spirituality to your mentality. Everything he focuses on. God loves you and he has a plan for you to prosper. Second law, we messed it up. God created perfection. God gave us everything we could desire, but he also gave us choice. Why? Because without choice, there is no love. If you can't choose to follow someone, if you can't choose to be with someone, then love doesn't exist. So God said, it's important enough in this world I've made for love to exist that I give you choice. And what do we do with that? We didn't choose him. Man sinned, and in that sin we separated ourselves from God. And because of that, we no longer know his wonderful plan. We no longer know his wonderful love. And that, brothers and sisters, is the key to every ounce of pain and hurt you see in this world. Have you ever had that moment where you were chasing after something? Maybe it was a job, maybe it was a car, maybe it was money, maybe it was a title, maybe it was a relationship. Have you ever chased after something and got it and then realized you were still empty? Have you ever had that, like, it's unbelievably disappointing. Because you've told yourself and you've lied to yourself that, man, that's the promised land. I get there and everything will be better. I get there and everything will make sense. And then you get there and you're like, this stinks too. <laughs> What's wrong? To be honest, it's why you see our celebrities with so much addiction and problems in their lives. See, we idiots, we're still chasing after money, fame, and good looks because we think if we get them, we'll be good to go. Those poor guys go, got them. I got them. I got everything the world says you're supposed to go get. I have them, and I'm empty. I'm confused. This isn't working. But the reality is many of us are chasing after those same things with every ounce of our strength day in and day out. The reason we're searching for stuff is because we've done this. What we're really hungering for is God. But we ain't filling up on Him. It's like when you go to the Mexican restaurant, man. We're the people who filled up on the tortilla chips up front. And when the main course comes, we're like, I'm full. We have missed out what the purpose of this whole thing was. Sin is what keeps us confused and lost. Law three, God loves you so much that he, even after we messed it up, sent Jesus to die for our sins so we could be forgiven and restored to a right relationship with him. So we'll talk more about this one. Let's just sum up Law 4. Law 4, we must place our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord to receive salvation. Alright? So remember this. What's your mission? Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all the creation. Brothers and sisters, every single day, everywhere you go, everything you do, in some way, shape, or form, you shall be proclaiming that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. 
I don't care if it's in the way you work. I don't care if it's the way you enjoy life. I don't care if it's in your words. I don't care if it's in your actions. But everywhere you go, there is an opportunity for you to proclaim that. Do it. Do it. All right, law three. Jesus died for us so we can be forgiven and restored to a right relationship with God. You know what's hard about preaching this sermon to Christians? You guys have heard it a million times. And you take it for granted every single day. Let's be honest. How many of us truly each day acknowledge the full gravity and the weight of that statement? How many of us each day realize you were hanging on, about to die, and Christ took it for you? He didn't have to, but He wanted to. You had a debt, you had a penalty that you could have never paid on your own, and Christ voluntarily took it upon Himself to take that pain and to take that debt. How many days do we truly, truly think about that? It should be something that has reformed and transformed our lives. It should be one of those things that after you acknowledge it, it changes everything about the way you think and about the way you act. The only other thing I've ever experienced in my life similar was having a child. That first moment I held Tyler, I realized life was different. And it was different in a very different way. It changed the way I thought about money, about goals, about love, about teaching, about material items. I mean, I used to look at Auto Trader every week at Camaros, Corvettes, and Mustangs. And now I drive a Nissan Quest minivan. <laughs> and do you know what's worse? I will tell you how awesome that minivan is. <laughs> if you have children, minivans are awesome, okay? Now, if I would have told that to myself 10 years ago, I would have smacked me and said, wake up, Luke. But that's what happens. Life-changing relationships reshape everything about who you are and how you think. And that's what this should do for us. Okay? So three things I want to look at in relation to Jesus' sacrifice for us. The first, it was motivated by love. Why did Jesus die for you and me? Because he loved us. Because he absolutely loved us. Now, I need to redefine this, and I feel like I have to do this every week. Do not listen to what our world says love means. In our world, we have turned love into sex. I like you. I want to be around you. I have fun with you. That is not what love is. Also in our world, I know many well-intentioned individuals that believe love is simply a feeling. And that's why so many people now get divorced because I fell out of love. That is junk. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice to sacrifice for somebody else. Love is the decision to look at somebody else and go, you are more significant than I. I will choose to sacrifice for you. Now don't get me wrong. Love's not boring. Any of us who've been in love can tell you about the fire in your heart, about the passion, about the joy that comes from it. 
But what we'll also tell you is that joy is tied to the sacrifice. It's why you'd rather be in the worst place in the world with your loved ones than in a fantastic place without them. Because you'd rather be where they're at. Man, I was laughing yesterday. So, um, Do you guys realize how cool Legos have gotten? Anybody? Okay, when I was a kid, I had Legos and I liked them. But like they were just like pretty much red, blue, yellow, green blocks, and you put them together and build stuff. Now, they're amazing. Okay, I can build the life-size Batcave out of Lego bricks. Okay? This week, Tyler has just gotten into Legos, which, by the way, is the bane of Nicole's existence. Because not only are they unbelievably painful to step on, but Tyler's the kind of guy that he needs all of his parts to be at peace. And so he'll run and be like, I lost the bat ring, Mom. And she'll be like, what's it look like? It's this big, and I've been in six different rooms. We need to find it now. And whenever that happens, I get a text message at work. Thank you so much for buying the Legos for Tyler. <laughs> so we're at Toys R Us this week. And what's happened, sadly, is I've started building Legos with them. I think I enjoy it more than he does. <laughs> they now have Legos of Corvettes, Mustangs, and sports cars. So we were at the toy store this week. Nicole disappears and goes, where's Luke? I'm still looking at the sports car Legos. <laughs> so it was funny, we, were, we, we had a gift card and so we let him buy a toy and there was a few bucks left and I was gonna get one. I was gonna get one and then oh, we looked at the price and I was like, eh, I can't justify this. You know, groceries or toys, right? <laughs> Tough choices. Uh, so later that night, he builds his and he's playing with it and he comes to me and he goes, Dad, why didn't you get your red one? I said, it was just too many coins, man. It was too many coins, because that's how he thinks about money, is coins. So a few minutes later, he comes back. He'd broken open his piggy bank, and he gave me seven cents. And he goes, can you get it now? And I'm like, yes, we can. <laughs> but that was like a big deal to him. And I, I love that, because that's sacrifice. That's love. Right? It's not just doing what's comfortable. It's going out of your way, sacrificing yourself to give to other people. When God came for you, He did it because He loves you. And you know what's beautiful about His love? It's the love of a parent for a child. Have you ever watched, I mean, this is like a, one of the examples that makes you shake your head, but it's so true. Have you ever seen the stories where like they capture the guy who just killed 15 people? He's had a, a rap sheet longer than your arm. And they talk to the parents, and the mom's like, he was such a good boy. And you're like, how could you say that? Anybody else in this world looks at this individual and goes, criminal, trash, garbage. You look at him and go, that's my boy. Why? Because it is. It's her boy. When she looks at him, she doesn't see the rap sheet. She doesn't see a list of accomplishments. She sees part of her. She sees that baby she held in her arms 30 years ago and all the potential and all the love and everything in the world that he meant. And that's why even though he has all these actions that tell her otherwise, she still can't get over the fact that she's her baby. Now we think that's silly in a human world, but you know what? We're all benefits of that kind of love. 
Because do you know who is also a bunch of criminals, convicts, and losers? Us. If we were to measure ourselves not by the standards we've created, which by the way, we set the bar low, but we were to measure ourselves by God's standard, we would realize we don't deserve Him. We don't deserve Him. In fact, what's crazy is most people don't get this. A lot of people struggle with the concept of hell. They struggle with it because they go, how could a God who's so loving, so amazing, so awesome, let people be in a place of such pain and agony and hurt? Clearly a God who loves would never allow that to happen. Even very strong Christians and pastors struggle with this concept. But let me explain it to you. It's real easy. All that hell is is a place where God doesn't exist. Which is exactly what those who do not believe in Him have asked for. Their whole lives they have wanted a world where He is not present. Where they don't have to go face to face with Him. Where they don't have to hear His voice. Where they don't have to acknowledge His power or presence. What they don't realize is, is each day all of us are blessed by God. Even if we're running away from Him. Only in hell do people actually encounter a world where he is completely absent. It's the only time people encounter that. Our God looks at us and he loves us because we are his children. And he's looked throughout history for every excuse to give us the benefit of the doubt. And what we'll see today is he was willing to pay an unbelievable price to make up for something you and I did. But the motive of all of that was because at the end of the day, you are His children that He shaped. You are His children that He put together, that He has made with all of His love and power. That's why He never wants to give up on us. He is driven by that Father's love. So let's look at a couple things. First, John 3, 16 and 17. I know you know the verse. I always challenge you. Don't know just 3.16, know 17.2. Look at it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So again, paradigms of how people think. People like to think of God as angry guy with rules, punishing people who do bad. It's not how it works. All the pain we feel in this life does not come from God. It comes from us. It comes from our sinful actions, our sinful desires, our sinful systems that we have set up and built in our world. I mean, you just want to look at how good we are with sin. Look at American politics. Is there any winning? I mean, we even acknowledge as an American people the system's just broke. But do we change it? No. All of that built on our sinful actions, desires, and structures. We have created a world in which if you just go with the flow, you will be a very sinful individual. So what's funny though is we act like God's the punisher. No. All the pain and hurt happens naturally because of us. He's the guy that came into that mess. He's the one that came into that darkness to bring light. He's the one that came into that hate to bring love. He's not here to condemn anyone. You know why? We condemned ourselves. This is like someone going into prison to save people. 
They don't need to punish those folks. They're already punished. That's why they're there. He only comes to save. That's it. Now, there's something we need to understand about this law of Christ coming to die for us. And that's the sacrifice. See, a lot of us, what we don't realize is just how big of a sacrifice it was for God. And I think part of that is because we know God's nature. Can I kill God? No. Can I hurt God? I don't, I don't think so. Is there anything too big or too huge for God to handle? No. So when I talk about God going through pain, I think a lot of us go, well, it's God. Right? This is Superman. Nothing hurts him. So really, how big of a sacrifice was it? And so there is one passage in Scripture where God chose through the actions of another to paint for us the price that He paid for you and I. So I want you to grab your Bibles and open up with me to Genesis. Open up to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22 is, is a, a tough passage because if you take it out of context, it's confusing to understand the setup of what God's doing. But it's important as we look at this to remember a few things. This is a story between God and Abraham. And Abraham is the first man of faith that will start the nation of Israel. So when you talk about the relationship between God and Abraham, there's one important thing to know. Abraham didn't have this book. See, nowadays what you and I have is, is we have an entire thousands of years of history and experiences of God so that we know when we talk to God and interact with God who He is, what He values, how He acts, how He thinks, what He thinks is right, what He thinks is wrong. Abraham had none of this. All Abraham knew is, I have experienced a personal relationship with a powerful God. And he has asked me to do things, and I am obeying him. So Abraham did not have, yet, a lot of the context that you and I have about describing who God is. Early on in this relationship, Abraham reveals to God one of his deepest desires. He wishes to have a son. He's an old man. All he wants is a boy to pass his legacy on. Someone to be that heir that will carry his name, that will carry his family, that will carry the world that he has built. And God gives him Isaac. Greatest gift of his entire life. He loves this boy more than anything and everything. It's his whole world. And look at what happens in Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now first off, just imagine that command coming to you. What is God asking? He's asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, to kill him. This is Isaac's entire, or Abraham's entire world. So one, that action alone for any human being would be difficult. Then you add to it that what's being sacrificed is his child. 
And this is what God is asking him. Now, how many of you, as soon as you read that, go, pause, wait a minute. Why is God even asking this? Does this seem like a fair request from God? No. Let's be honest. If God came and asked you to do the same, would any of you have a moment of reflection and pause? I know I would. Serious questions would be asked. But look at what Abraham says. And look at what Abraham does. Verse 3. I always feel like there's a gulf of information missing from verse 2 to 3. Because if it was me in Abraham's shoes, we would have more verses there. <laughs> With my laundry list of questions for God. But look at Abraham. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, these are the servants that are traveling with him, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so that both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father! And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went both of them together. Can you imagine how hard that question was to answer? This boy's not dumb. Isaac's done this before with him. Isaac knows as they're going to travel, there's one important thing missing. What's going to be sacrificed at? All Abraham can say is God will provide. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it has been said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. There's another reason Abraham never knew this happened before. And it was for the benefit of each and every one of us. I think the one person who probably knows more than anyone what God felt in sacrificing Jesus was Abraham. Because Abraham is the only other one who has ever actually been made to think about that exact process. What we know from Hebrews is, is that Abraham had so much faith in God that he believed even if he killed his son, his father would bring him back. That's how much faith he had in God. But what I will tell you is Abraham in that moment understood the amount of sacrifice that God made for you and for me. I mean, when we think about it as Americans, we understand the concept of people dying to protect others. Many of us in here, we have family members, nephews, niece, children, 
siblings who have signed up to defend our country and risk their lives to protect us. But there's a huge difference between that and what even God did for us. One, those people protect themselves and are armed to prevent themselves from dying. Two, our hope is they won't end up dead. In fact, we do everything in our training and our planning to hope they come back safe. When God selected Jesus to come for us, He knew how it would end. He knew there was only one way it could end. I send my son fully knowing he will die. My one and only son. I think about this as a father and I ask, who would I sacrifice my boys for? There's not really a list there. But that's what God did for you and I. He took his one son, his boy who'd been with him from the beginning of the creation of this world, his boy who had never done anything wrong, his boy who had always been loyal and loving. And he took that boy and he let him come to this earth to be mocked, to be beaten, and to die for you and me. For you and for me. We can't forget that. Sometimes I think we act like the sacrifice God made was small. It wasn't small. It's the biggest sacrifice anyone could ever make. And we got to know that. We got to treasure it because, guys, how big we realize the sacrifice is is what motivates us to change our lives and to move forward. The debt that's paid. The forgiveness that's given to us and what it took to overcome that, that sets the foundation for the relationship we have with God. It's why if we can't acknowledge our sin and we can't acknowledge His sacrifice, the relationship we have with Him will be empty. You've got to be able to clearly see those two things. How much debt and dirt you had and what He did to pay it off. Second big thing. We'll see if we can get through these two here. We did not deserve it. You want to add on top of the fire of Jesus or God sacrificed His Son for you? Realize that when He did it, you didn't deserve it at all. In fact, He didn't even want it. Romans 5.8 tells us this, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So understand that. Christ dies not for a group of people going, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I realize how bad I've messed up. I realize this is all on me. Please, please pull me out. No, Christ dies for a bunch of people that don't even want to acknowledge who He is. A bunch of people that as He's dying, mock Him, hurl insults at Him, and divide up His belongings. This is a God that has the kind of love that is even as He's being cursed, He's praying to His Father saying, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't get it. It's one thing to let my boy go die for someone who I also love, who I also cherish, who I also respect. It's another to have him go die for one of my enemies. That's a different hurdle to climb. But it's exactly the one that God did for you and for I. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. 
Luke 23 is one of my favorite pieces of the whole gospel story. In Luke 23, we're going to start in verse 39. It's talking about Jesus in those final hours as He's on the cross. So what do you think about this moment? In this moment, Jesus is nailed to the cross. He is already dying. Many say from the descriptions of how He'd been beaten, He didn't even nail, need to nail Him to a cross. He would have died from His own wounds. But here's Jesus on the cross, being cursed at, being mocked, being mistreated. And to his left and to his right hang two criminals. And it says this, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. They talk about an evil man. Think about that guy. Here he is about to die for his own crimes. And with his last breaths, what is he doing? Making fun of Jesus. Hurling insults at another person in pain and hurt. But look at verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. I love that criminal on that cross. And when you read that, you should realize you're that criminal on that cross. The reason I love that criminal on the cross is because do you know what he had to offer Jesus? Nothing. Literally nothing. He was never going to be able to tithe to him. He was never going to go tell stories about him. He was never going to go share the gospel with anybody. He literally had a few beats of his heart left. That man never did anything to build up the kingdom of God. But you know where he is? In the kingdom. I'll be honest. All of us are a little confused sometimes. I think all of us if we really get down to it, have a little bit of pride where we think we're doing things to build the kingdom. I think in our hearts, all of us hold a little bit of conceit to thinking we're actually earning a little bit of our keep. No, we're not. We don't do things to earn heaven because we can't. We do things because it's been given to us so freely. There's a joy and love in our heart to share it with others. I'll be honest, when I became a pastor, or before I became a pastor, when I made the decision to become a pastor, I had this illusion that after God had chased me for, for a couple of years on this tugging of I should become a pastor, I thought that moment when I kneeled on my knees and said, God, I surrender. I hear you. I'm going to become a pastor. I thought the moment that happened that God was going to be like, finally! Yes! We've needed this guy. I got so much work for you. Luke, come on. I'm going to open up these doors. Here's a bunch of things I need you to do for me. What was confusing was, is after I said that, no doors opened. I was, I was going to different churches, and I was trying to talk to pastors and tell them I want to be a pastor. Can I help? What can I do? And I was amazed. A lot of them were just like, hey, that's great. Godspeed. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I'm a pretty talented individual. 
I've told you, God, I want to help you. Like, I mean, you're going to put me in the game? And it took a while to realize, you fool. Do you think God needs you? Do you think there's anybody in this world where God's going, man, if only we could get that guy? Yeah. Angels, pause. We got Luke. We're good to go. The momentum has shifted. We're about to start winning this game. No. Not at all. I was reading this book and I was talking about humility. And it's written towards pastors. And the guy says, if you ever think you're important, just pause and stop. Remember in God's word, he used a staff that turned into a serpent to speak to Pharaoh. He used a donkey to talk to a prophet. So if you ever think you're special because God's word are coming from your mouth, remember the company you keep. <laughs> God doesn't need any of us. He wants us. And that's different. God does not need you. He wants you. How cool is that? I've been in a place where people need stuff I have. And you realize they could care less about you. They just want what you have. It is a beautiful thing to realize they could care less what you have. They just want to be with you. They just want you. God doesn't want you for any of your talents. He could care less about your bank account. He could care less about any material possession or talent you think you have. He just wants you. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear you sing. He wants to be able to talk to you day in and day out. He wants to be with you. And what's beautiful about that is He wanted it so much that when you were His enemy, He still wanted you. When you were cursing His name, He still wanted you that bad. It's awesome. Last thing. This is the one I think we miss as well. The sacrifice of Jesus did two things. It took away death, but it also gave life. Amen. And we miss this. This wasn't just a stay of execution. This wasn't you're hanging in the noose, taking your last breaths, Jesus runs in and grabs you and holds you up, pulls you down from that rope and lets you go. And says, hey brother, have a good one. Catch you later. After he saved you, he shows you a whole new way to live. After he saves you, he takes you, the guilty criminal and convict, and crowns you as a prince. He pours his righteousness, his love, his power on you. This is the governor stopping this day of execution for a dead man on death row and then going, you know what? Come live in my mansion. Come be my right hand. Come enjoy my wealth. Come enjoy my life. Come and feel the love that I have for you. We miss that. He didn't just save you. He taught you to live. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what we should have is a spirit and a fire in our lives that when we look at Christians and how they live, everybody else should look like zombies. It should look like there's this group of people just like, I don't know what kind of living. They're breathing, I guess. But they're lost. All they do is consume and then look for the next thing. And then there should be Christians. 
people who are living full of joy, unrestricted by fear, lifted up in a love that is beyond words and description. And you should see those two groups and go, man, I want to be over here. I want to be here. You ever seen that difference between somebody who has to do something versus somebody who desires it? Has to do it versus desire. Just wants it. I always loved high school football. I don't like it so much as I'm an adult because I realize the injuries and the pain we put on these kids. But what I do love about high school football is most high schools I've gone to don't have cuts. Every other sport, there's tryouts, they assess talent, and they cut people. Football, it rarely happens in high school. You know why? The practices are so hard. So much is requested of you that if you ain't playing, if you don't want it, you leave. And you'd see it happen. You know what you see, right? First, first week of two-a-days. You'd see a whole bunch of people there Monday and Tuesday. And as the week went on, the herd would thin. Because there was a lot of people who said they wanted to be a football player, but not a lot of people who wanted to sweat for five or six hours, who wanted to get pounded by men who were much bigger and stronger than them, and do that over and over and over again. But those that did, you know what? They loved it. I want to see a bunch of Christians that come to church not because they have to come to church. I want to see a bunch of Christians that listen to God's word and read God's word not because they feel they have to, but because they want to. Because there's a passion and a hunger in them. We need to realize the moment the Spirit came into us, you are not the same person you were before. You've been empowered to live life differently. To be something more than you were before. In John 14, 6, it says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Brothers and sisters, there's a reason we don't know much about heaven. Because God didn't talk a lot about it. We get a little taste of it here and there. But the reason he didn't talk about it a lot is heaven's not the motivation. The motivation for a relationship with God is God. It's that from every moment, from the one in which I fall upon my knees and acknowledge Him as my Savior, every moment from then, I get to be with Him. I get to hear His voice. I get to know His power. I get to be in His presence. I get to feel that love. And once you've tasted that, you don't want anything else. Do you know Him like that? Do you want God that much? I'll be honest, I think there's some people sitting here, they have come to Jesus, not for Jesus, but for what He has. And, and you know what? We're to blame for it, pastors, because we're the ones that sell Him like He's the special ointment that will heal all your hurts. Got a bad marriage? Come to Jesus. Kids not listen to you? Come to Jesus. Finance is bad? Come to Jesus. You're unhealthy? Come to Jesus. Go to the Christian bookstore and what do you see? Book after book about how to be Christian fit. How to have Christian finances. How to have a Christian marriage. How to have a Christian this and that and that. How many books are about knowing God? 
how do I come face to face with the Almighty? How do I hear that voice? And it's not dimmed out. It's not dumbed down. It's powerful. That's what we should be chasing. So when you think about the death of your Savior, know those things. He did it because He loved you. He did it when you were His enemy. And He comes not just to save you, but to give you life. To live in a way you could have never done without Him. Let's pray.